Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Yeah, and here we are Sunday night after a final of another ranking tournament. And it's congratulations to Ali Carter, who's the German Masters champion for this year. Um, Interesting tournament, sort of a funny tournament in a way. Um, Not a classic final, but still amazingly well done to Ali Carter. Um, closing in on seven years since his last ranking title in 2016 and 10 years since he last won the German and Masters. So amazing stuff really for him. Very much so. Uh, I was just thinking as I went for a little walk after the final, you can't keep a good man down, but you, you actually could keep a good man down for seven years, <laughs> which is a hell of a way. But that thing about, you know, class uh, sort of uh, being permanent, Form temporary, class and permanent, shines through again. I've said before in the life of this pod many times, I'm a big Ali Carter fan. I think a tenacious, gritty, determined, firing on all cylinders, fighting Ali Carter is actually one of the great sights in snooker. And boy, did we see that throughout the tournament, particularly in this final. He wanted it so much, you could just see that. And yeah, he played really well to win it. I mean, I know Tom Ford sort of played down how well Ali played tonight. I mean, he, he really did play pretty well. I mean, Tom Ford wasn't at the stand you needed to be. That's true. But just look at the breaks that, that Carter made. I mean, it went 2-0 forward. Let's not forget, mm-hmm. you know, he had a good start. But then six in a row from Carter really sort of broke the back of the final and what he needed to do really there. And uh, seven half, half centuries in the afternoon, two more tonight. So the form was there. But yeah, it dribbled away tonight, didn't it? It went from 6-3 to 10-3. And with the greatest one in the world, Ford just didn't look convincing tonight, did he, Phil? One of those where you don't have to get the first one on the board, but if the first two go, 8-3, you know, I heard someone on commentary mention Mark Selby, and he thought, yeah, you need to be like a Selby here at 3-8 down to kind of have any chance. He just fell away, Tom Ford, didn't he? 
Yeah, it's a shame, really, because he had the perfect start. I mean, Alan McManus on commentary at the start of the day said it's really important for Tom to get a, a good start here because, you know, it's, it's a rare final for him, for chance for his first title, huge arena, big setting. So you need to settle the nerves early. And then he makes a 1-2-1 in the first frame. And then possibly even better, the second frame that he nicked from behind, which he looked like he wasn't going to win. So it really couldn't have been a, a better sort of nerve-settling beginning. But then it all went pretty badly downhill. There was some decent stuff in there. And yeah, he pinched, pinched that last frame of the first session. But And it was very much still alive there at 6-3. That's, that's game on. But yeah, not so much in the in the evening. He had some bad run, but yeah, he just couldn't couldn't muster it up. Um, he just I don't know how much this was the problem. Now he just sort of get down on himself a bit. I don't think that was necessarily the issue there. He just missed some balls, didn't he? he missed some easy ones. Um, he sort of put in some difficult ones and missing the straightforward ones, which is uh, you know no one wants to ever be doing that. Um, but yeah, as much as Ford was below par, Cart was very good. Um, as he has been all tournament, really, and so the form's been building up. This work with Chris Henry, which he was saying how big that's been, um, is clearly working. And, yeah, a brilliant win for him. Oh, yes, definitely. Before I forget, I don't know if you saw a WSC interview, he's praising Chris Henry. Also, a very interesting moment. I remember you saying in our shootout review that Chris Wakeling came in and pinched the high break off Ali Carter. I'll be honest yes. with you, I wouldn't even have known it was Ali Carter. But you made that point. He tonight himself said he was practising with somebody and he was quite gutted. He was quite annoyed. He thought, bloody hell, he's got five grand for me. And he made the point, actually, and this is a bit snooker God's territory here. <laughs> he said, something good's going to happen for me after that. <laughs> so, I'm not saying that's the thing that propelled him, but players need these mentality things, don't they? You know, Especially someone like Ali, you know, backs against the wall. I've had five grand nicks off me. I'll go and bloody show them. I'll win the next tournament. It's a bit like that, isn't it? I love that <laughs> idea. But but you're right. He was just brilliant throughout the week. Yes, a lot of stars weren't there, but you know, he said that to beat some very very good players and and did it did it in real style. And should say that's five ranking titles now for Ali Carter. Have a look at uh, as I nearly always do, really. For especially with their multiple winners, adding another one. I always look at the list. Same as Kyron Wilson. Obviously, Kyron's got quite a few more years on Ali. Uh, Stephen Lee, who we know hasn't played for a long, long time, for reasons we know about. And Ray Reardon. Now, we know with Ray, it's not really quite fair. Six-time world champion. They didn't have rankings mm. in those days. But I think um, I think he could be one behind Stuart Bingham as well. So, you know, in this eternal thing, which is all made up in our heads anyway, about who's underachieved and overachieved, it, it feels like there's more on the board if you look across his career, actually, he's been that much of a good player. But still, five is good. And twice a winner of this tournament. Now, he made a point tonight of saying how prestigious he feels it is. And with that crowd and that venue, let's say, Phil, great news from next season. It's going to be seven days in Berlin, isn't it? Which I think we were kind of suggesting in our Christmas special, weren't we, with Dave Endon, that mm -hmm. I, I certainly remember myself saying that Although it's brilliant and so big, it could almost be made bigger. Well, what a step this is in the direction of that. You know, it really feels like it's, I'm going to early word of gravitas, even more with, with, with the seven days there. But he was saying, wasn't he, Ali? This feels like a big event. And you know what? Lovely symmetry. Ten years after he won the title, beat Marco Phil, I think, didn't he, in that 13 final. He's back again tonight. 
uh, winning it and uh, got a lovely reception from the crowd. And I, I think they, I think most, you know, most snooker people, I know he's a bit of a marmite figure for different reasons, Ali, but I think purely what you see on the table, if you can't kind of respect someone just for the way they play and the way they fight, leave aside the, you know, the unbelievable fight and determination he's shown off the table. Some of the hardships he's had there. I, I saw a comment tonight and I thought, yeah, it's a good way of setting it. Think if he hadn't had those periods of ill health, what he might have done, how much more he might have gone. He's gone a long way anyway, but he's back in the top 16 at the age of 43. And, you know, for me, it's just hats off. Great to see him back in the winner's circle. He looked just delighted tonight. And uh, his partner was there, you say, Chris Henry. It's a happy story, I think, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, everyone knows his sort of health stories in the past, but I think they're almost underplayed still, how how much he's got over and dealt with and how little time he had off the sport. Um, it's amazing, really, what he's come through uh, and still to be playing so well now. Yeah, um, yeah, he's, he's a great character to have around, I think, even if for some people he's a bit of a pantomime villain. For for not many, not many reasons really, I think he's easily sort of got into that position. It sort of clashes with Ronnie O'Sullivan. Will do that for you, but um, I think he's a great addition to have at sort of the top of the sport. Um, and yeah, he's very engaging to watch. I think you can sort of you you, you feel sort of the intensity um, just to look at his face more than anything. But yeah, I've always enjoyed him as a character and. Uh, He's just he's just capitalised this week. I mean, if you look like his run, even from qualifying, um, obviously you have to. Be, everyone's a good player. You've got to beat them all. But he's he's not had to beat a top sixteen player to win a title, which is a rare opportunity. But he's exactly the kind of guy who will capitalise on that and and drop and think, oh, this and get to his head or anything. Um, he played really well to do that. Um, and yeah, congratulations to him. And, and this gets. Brought up a lot, and I, th- I feel like you really want to focus on the the here and now of like it's a great tournament to win, and he won it. But it does get brought up a lot because it's important. But it means so much in terms of players' championship, the tour championship, champion champions next season. And um, there's a bonus. There's the European series bonus, which is 150 grand, I think. Um, he's going to be seeded for the Crucible, so it's just endless positives really for him. So yeah, nothing but congratulations to him. Yeah, I'm sure someone out there, if they haven't done already, is adding up the potential money that, that's yeah. come just from this. And it's it's a lot more than just the t- the money he's won for winning the title tonight, as you say. A m- massive amount of spin-offs. And, yeah, intensity is the word. I think sometimes, I mean, maybe sometimes there is an anger there. And, you know, <laughs> if he feeds that in the right place, then good luck to him. But I think it's more like intensity. And that, I don't think that always loves everyone up the right way. But... To me, as I say, when he's showing that intensity, that absolute fierce tenacity, I think he's just a great sight. And, and what a mighty fine player he is. And it, it, it's lovely to see him show that again. Well, let's maybe go back for the look at some of the other stories in the tournament. have to say, last 32, Jimmy White, we did say before he had a big chance, beat Peña Song 5-1. Breaks of 55, 82, 63, 50 and 70 from Jimmy. And one thing I wanted to say about, and we all endlessly joke about Jimmy in practice, you know, how he's flying. And let us continue to do that. It's one of Snooker's (laughs) most reliable uh, sort of laughs, isn't it, really? But actually, he's really putting the practice in. I saw him talking a couple of times um, about how he's sort of putting a lot of hours in a day. 
And listen, it's all part of the rich tapestry. A lot of people saying, if he'd done this in the glory, his, his glory and pomp years, goodness knows what he'd have done. But there we are. Each character's different. He's certainly doing it now. At the age of 60, I mean, hats off. And we'll get to the last 16. He gave Jack Lazowski a bit of an early scare, didn't he? He's taking the first two frames. Mm-hmm. They maybe run out of steam. But, you know, marvellous effort. But again, it, it's not out of nothing, is it? He, he is just playing well this season. And forget... You know, going back decades, just looking at the last four, five, six, seven seasons, he's been nothing like this, is he? His standard is so far above what it has been in recent times. Yeah, definitely. And consistently, you know, he's always been capable of still picking up the odd win, but he's picked up a lot of wins. Yeah, that that run to you through UK Championship qualifying was superb. Um, he's got to this, win a game here. And, and as you said, with those breaks, played really well against Peng. Uh, he's qualified for Wales, so he's going to be back on our screens shortly. And um, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that UK run. Now that now the qualifying setup is the same as a World Championship, if he can get through that, there's nothing to say he can't get to the Crucible again, which would really be an amazing thing. Um, and yeah, it, you wouldn't rule it out because he's, um, you know, he's still talking about how he knows he can win a tournament. I don't think many people would go that far, but he's certainly good enough to knock some people out and go go towards the last 32, last 16 of tournaments, as he's shown again. Um, so, yeah, it's very impressive. He's, uh, yeah, doing a lot of work with his son in the practice room and uh, it's paying off. And he's still great to watch when he's playing well. Uh, much nicer it is, obviously, it goes without saying, really, but much nicer to watch him play now than, yeah, as you say, in the last few years when it has looked a bit of a struggle and there's been times where you think, you know, can this be that enjoyable for him, just losing all the time? And it didn't look enjoyable, but, um, yeah, great to see him winning. And uh, you can see still the reception he gets, you know, even we'll get to the Lasowski game, but as he was cheered out of the arena that day, it was a huge noise. So, yeah, um, it's great to watch. Really is. He was asked about the Crucible. I think Roddy Bissett actually was doing most of the on-site interviews for World Snooker to ask him about that. And Jimmy was like, yeah, yeah, got every chance. But first of all, I want to go out and beat Jack Lazowski. You know, I've got folks <laughs> beating Jack Lazowski. I thought, yeah, that's the way to talk, Jimmy. Of course it is, you know. And uh, as I say, we'll come to that Lazowski match in a minute. But one, one of the earlier things to say, of course, Phil, I mean, please feel free to select your own early highlights, but Robert Milkins making a 1-4-6 in his win over Daniel Wells, won that match 5-3. You don't get many of those to the pound, do you? Four, four, 14 blacks and a pink. Unusual frame, uh, unusual break, isn't it? In so many ways, and of course, he went one better with a one four seven. And you know, just generally, one of the stories of the week was how well Milkins was playing, and just what a tremendous player he can be when he's on song. But that's a lovely break, I think one four six. For so many reasons, isn't it? Yeah, it's not very rare, much rarer than a one four seven. And then, yeah, when he made the maximum as well, I, w- I was shocked to see that someone had found out that it had been done before, where someone had made a one four six and one four seven in the same tournament Hendry done it of course if it was gonna be anyone um but yeah you know Milkins is great to watch um when he's playing well and he is and uh yeah he's just sort of you know that win last year last season out of nowhere he hasn't you know he hasn't regular tournament winner obviously but um he's pulling off these results now and uh yeah, we'll come to his other wins. Just a couple more fine wins after that. But um, yeah, what a star that was! Because Daniel Wells is, you know, he's an amateur player playing on tour. But he, whenever I see him, I think, how is he off tour? 
you know, people, we talk about Michael Holt and players like that a lot, but Wells, as much as anyone, I think he's really brilliant. So I'm sure he'll be back on soon. But yeah, uh, what a start that was for the Milkman. No, it really was. And then, as we often do, I think it feels about appropriate for take you through the results of the last 16 stage. We saw Jacques Dong beating Elliot Slesser 5 1. Then the Lazowski Jimmy White match, which um, I must admit, I made a, I'm sure like many, many snooker fans made a real point of. Uh, staying in and getting by the Italian watching that. And Jimmy made a hell of a start going 2-0 up. One of the moments of the tournament for me, that pink to middle, what a pink mm. above. Really did feel it needed to go 3-1, Jimmy. And not even a hindsight thing. At 2-2, he thought, nah, I think the chance has probably gone there, to be honest. And it's Alski ended up a 5-2 winner. But real fight from Jimmy. And to the end, he still had a chance to go back to, to 4-3. So it was a really creditable show. But Lizowski did, did get through, and uh, as we'll talk about this, I'm sure, a little bit more as well as we go on, but Lizowski was being tipped by more and more people, of course, as he was getting deeper with so many stars not there. Kyron Wilson got himself through to the quarterfinals, beat Jimmy Robertson 5-2. Tom Ford beat Tian Penfei 5-3. It was Ali Carter 5, Louis Heathcote 1. Chris Wakelin 5, Neil Robertson 4. Hell of a result there for Wakelin. Robert Milkins beating Luca Purcell 5-3. You alluded to the good wins he had. There was certainly one there. And Pan Jung-Su 5, Ricky Walden 1. Well, Wakelin beating Robertson, I mean, just typical, isn't it, Phil? You know, the, the shootout, you know, it's, an, it's a ranking event. Confidence. It just felt like Wakelin was freewheeling in a way. But it also adds to the narrative that Robertson, by his own brilliant standards, isn't really having his best season by... Bearing in mind he had the best season ever, didn't he, uh, mm. last year? He's not quite there at all. The, the ill health hasn't helped, certainly. That's really setting back, you feel. And uh, there's still time to put it right. No alarm bells. But it's just feeding to that narrative that he's not quite at those classic Robertson levels that we kind of expect around this time of the season, frankly. Oh, definitely, yeah. I, I spoke to him on Zoom um, after he beat Joe Perry in the first round, and uh, he was sounding really good. He was, you know, back to full fitness. He said there was never a problem with my game. It was just illness, fortunate times, and um, he didn't start that game against Perry particularly well, actually. But he, he was really good by the end, and I thought, okay, you can see him getting his game here. And I think he was three-one up on Wakelin, I think, and he was looking quite good at that point. I thought, okay, Neil's looking very strong now to sort of push on through this tournament, and then. You know, not long later, he was out. Um, and, yeah, it's, it is worrying for him because he he's not in the Players' Championship yet, I don't think. And he's obviously he's a long way off the Tour Championship. So there's not a huge amount of playing time left for him um, if he if he can't have a nice run in Wales and get into them. Um, so, yeah, he, he's not, it's not ideal. He's he been to three semis, mm. which, you know, for most players on Tour would be represent a very good season but um yeah because like you say what we're used to from neil it has been quiet um but yeah great for chris though who uh he battled through his first game as well he was, he was well down in that first game against cj Gio, and scrapped back to win that so yeah it was nice to see um suddenly you know chris wakely is one of those players that we all know about he's been around for a while but you just don't actually see that often because he's so rarely on the tv table I see, feel like I've seen a lot of Chris Wakely in the last few days, but he's a lovely player to watch when he's playing well, so that's good. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, considering a bit for Neil Robertson fans, I'd say. Um, one match I, I forgot to mention about from the first round, which I watched a lot of, was Heathcote beating Kao Yupeng 5-4. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just had it on 
um, I don't know my phone because it was just on the Bet365 stream, but uh, Cherry Payne went 3-0 up and the, th- the 3-0 was from fairly f- far behind to win on a respotted black. And I just thought, oh, what an absolute killer for Heathcote. But then he played so well to come back and win 5-4. Um, yeah, it was just a really enjoyable game. Um, lots and lots of breaks. I think there were three frames where someone made a 50 and lost the frame. So <laughs> they're always exciting, aren't they? So uh, he goes for those good sort of young players who, um, when he's playing well, he looks like he's got everything, but he just needs to sort of get some confidence, gets results. So hopefully that'll be good in the long run for him. Yeah, so you tweeted about that, didn't you? Saying it's one of the best matches you've seen in quite some time. Mm. Yeah, I remember that now. Uh, didn't see it myself, but it sounded really good. Uh, quarterfinals then. The aforementioned maximum break from Robert Milkins in his 5-2 win over Chris Wakelin. It was Ali Carter 5, Pang Jung-Soo 3, Jack Lazowski 5, Zhao Gudong 3, and uh, Tom Ford beating Kyron Wilson. I saw a fair bit of that, certainly towards the end. And he was brilliant, 5-2 win. Ford was terrific. You know, he really was on the money and, uh, you know, claimed a very fine win there. On to the semi-finals. That was one of those lovely days when you get all... Let me get my maths right here. It shouldn't be that hard, Phil. Uh, all 22 frames played. And I yeah. thought, I like it like that. You know, Ali Carter, six. Robert Milkins, five in the afternoon. Was very, very good. But the one in the evening, heavens above. Tom Ford, six. Jack Lazowski, five. What a match that was. I mean, the last frame was just said so much about the sheer drama, the things that happened on a 12 per six. <laughs> Lazowski seeming to be in, sort of broke down, left a snooker, ball got out of it, but left really a red that he should have made. Is yeah. that, I mean, it was a bit, it was on the toughest side, but I think he had to nail it really. But the table didn't look conducive to clearing up, but it was so good from Tom Ford. Then he played a really kind of dodgy shot on the last red to yellow, didn't he? Mm. But really nailed a brave yellow to middle and, and 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 won the match. And it was brilliant. I mean, a lot of people tip Lazowski. Uh, I, I don't... I might be going over the top reaching too much here, but I, I almost thought they over-tipped him a bit and it almost maybe didn't quite show the respect of the others, actually. Because at the end of the day, Jack's a, a marvellous player, but he's not won the tournament, so you've got to kind mm. of... That everyone, of course it was a chance. Everyone could see it was opening up. But I almost felt like... He must have put some pressure on him, really, more than he would have wanted. But, uh, yeah, we talk about Ford's mentality, may have let himself down a bit in the final, and we've seen it let him down, I think, frankly, a lot of times over the years. But not in that Saturday night semi-final. That was just a a, a thrilling watch, wasn't it? Yeah, it was brilliant. They both played really well. Um, yeah, I felt the same about the South there was no, There was certainly no guarantee of anything. Um Obviously, he'd want this situation to be like, because that's what they talk about. You know, with his sixth ranking final so far, they've all been against Trump and Selby Robertson, I think, has been his opponent in all those finals. So, um, you know, the the chance to have an easier route to a possible title is a good thing, but then the pressure comes on you, doesn't it? Because very rarely are so many people thinking from early on that he might win it, but... Yeah, it was a tough one. I think that final frame was crazy, wasn't it? It was well worth a watch. If you, anyone missed it, go and dig it out because it was a great break from Lasowski to make 52 because it was really difficult. And I think they sort of summed up his problem so far towards the end when it wasn't so much the right at the end. It had been really difficult to get into like the third 
thirties, I think. And then, then he just sort of sorted it out, and it looked like oh, he just break was straightforward. It was off the spot, and he he potted it. And he just left himself really awkward position on the red, and he shouldn't have done it. It should have been straightforward, and that's what left him to pot that red, but then force him to play a snooker on the brown. And yeah, obviously from there he's still in a good position, but he just should never have put himself in that spot. And that was just concentration, as far as I could see. And that's that's his problem. Like he was he was nailing all the difficult shots in that break early on. And then as soon as it started looking like it'll be straightforward, that's where it fell apart. Um but yeah, I mean even from that position, 52 to up with Ford in a horrible snooker, he should have won. And then like you said, that red, you know wasn't a gimme by any stretch, but he should have potted it. Um, but brilliant from Ford to get over the line. So, yeah, another. <laughs> um, but I'm not sure how well he was playing really that week. Um, this week just gone. I, he didn't play well against Jimmy. Sort of got over the line. Flying through the competition. But, you know, it's. To the semi-finals. I'll, I'll be honest, you're doing a very good Norman Collier impression here. Now, that's one for the teenagers. Uh, I presume I'm still coming through loud and clear, but you're certainly frozen now, I can see. And before that, Phil, you were doing a classic Norman Collier. Possibly my dad's favourite funny man, and through my dad, one of mine too, the late, great Collier who, of course, did the microphone trick. Do you remember Norman Collier? Phil, you're back with me. You were doing a bit of a Norman Collier in tone. No. Well, he 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 was a mainstay. No, that's my knowledge. Well, he was a mainstay of television, um, and he, he had a, a few very good acts, actually, not just the microphone, the winding down the window joke he had. He had the chicken joke he did, uh, blowing his nose as well, you know, and looking in the hanky. He had quite a few things, but famously the microphone. And you were actually, we were hearing every sort of three of every four words from you in that last monologue, unfortunately. Um, but um, Shame. Sorry, I'm not sure what happened there. It, it seemed all right on my end, but apologies. No, not at all. No, one of those things. But um, I think we're basically saying, aren't we, that I mean, one word that did come through was concentration. And you have to say, with Lazowski, that is... His issue, you know, and listen, he can, he's not going to much a better person in his corner than Peter Ebden. I mean, if it, you know, <laughs> if there's a player that showed supreme powers of concentration when it mattered throughout his career, it was Ebden. But yeah, he's not quite there. He, he, he will get there. He, I feel in a way we we all sort of need to back off and shut up, but but we're not going to do that. That's our business. You know? <laughs> we may yeah. not, I'm not shutting up. So we, we are likely to do so. And listen, it's time immemorial. It's across all sports, whether it's big players and won the tournament or big players and won a major. And I know this from golf and tennis and especially golf that I cover an awful lot. And we obviously have it in snooker. You know, it's going to be said because he's that good a player. He's that talented. It feels unfathomable in, on some levels that he hasn't won one. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, this time you couldn't make the excuse that, you know, it's fair to make. Not that he's made it himself that much, actually, but we'll make it on behalf of him that he's run into a lot of the greats of the game. Certainly in finals, he's good mate Judd a few times. But that wasn't the case this week. But listen, he's getting there. He reached the semi finals of the UK. And, you know, 
Should's a big word in sport, but probably should have been Mark Allen to reach the final there. If he reached the last four of the Masters, last four of a big tournament here again now. I mean, he's knocking on the door time and time again. And in many ways, he's having a very good season. But, but you know, had he already won a ranking event, we'd be sort of hailing the season more, if you know what I mean. Because he hasn't won one, the tail is more frustration rather than actually he's racking up loads of points, loads of prize money, getting deep all the time type thing. Yeah, definitely. And he said that a couple of times. He said that to me when I spoke to him at the shootout the other week, that um, there's plenty of people who have won a ranking event, or maybe even more than one ranking event, and he wouldn't want to swap his career for theirs. Um, he thinks he's doing perfectly well, and it's coming. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it runs the semis this week. He's in the Tour Championship this year. So, you know, you don't get in that unless you've had a superb season. So um, he's not panicking and anywhere nearly as much as everyone else seems to be about his lack of ranking title. But it is funny how quickly that conversation go away in whatever form it is, you know, we just stopped talking about Dave Gilbert in that uh, bracket because he won what is a pretty minor sort of championship league. And, you know, I'd say getting to the semis of the UK and the Masters and this one is probably better than winning the championship league. But, you know, you just need to sort of yeah. do it to tick a box and move on, don't you? But, um, yeah, it's it, it, it'll be bothering him, of course, because he wants to win and... Uh, but I, yeah, he's he's too good not for it not to happen at some point. It's got to remain patient. Yeah, I would say so. And then, well, we left a, we were left with a final. I think most people were finding it quite hard to predict. I and mean, I put my, what, my my usual poll up now. I tend to put a poll up for, uh, for finals through the Talking Snooker account, actually. And it was one of those where it was 50, 50, 50, 51, 49. I think it ended up 53, 47 in Ford's favour, which I was a little bit, tiny bit surprised about, bearing in mind Ali Carter's one with so much more experience. But then Ali hasn't had a lot of recent experience, in fairness. So people were thinking that as well. But, you know, in the end, Carter kind of made a bit of a mockery of, the, of, the, of how close we all thought it would be by just showing all his kind of years and years of, of of top match play experience. You know, he's been in two world finals, lest, lest we forget. Mm. Talk about unlucky to bump into the, the best. Well, the Eagles played Ronnie in both. I mean, and, and Ronnie playing very well in both those tournaments. And, you know, he'll say, and I have to back him up, I don't really know how he didn't win that Masters final against Stuart Bingham. He was excellent mm. that night, but it's just sheer brilliance from Bingham to sprint to the line at the end. So he really has had a... And an, an excellent. I don't know who it was. It might have been Dave Hendon in commentary actually saying that even if he's not sort of top sixteen, you know, in literal terms, he he kind of is in 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 every kind of you know sense of how how he's sort of seen and respected in the game. He has that sort of stamp of a top sixteen quality and authority about him, and he's he's right back in there now. And uh, you know. Uh, another player in their forties making hay, Phil. There's a, there's, a, there's a few of those around, isn't there? <laughs> oh, yeah, I think you. Could. Yeah, I saw someone tweeted me earlier saying. Uh, yeah, someone tweeted earlier saying that the average age of winners this season is thirty-seven, which uh, is not too surprising because um, <laughs> everyone in their forties seems to do well. Um, but I tell you what, Carter's never—he's he's another one of these uh, Ken and Docty mold that has never seemed to age. He looked the same for twenty years, so he so he, he doesn't doesn't look like he's heading towards fifty. But um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, you, what you're saying about the top sixty—that's right. If he is ever the the crucible as a qualifier, it's not it's not usually obvious who's who's the, the who's come through qualified there. 
always in the sort of the Joe Perry mold, you know, around the 16 mark, isn't it? So, he's, yeah, if he's not in there, he may as well be. Indeed. We're forced to having a bit of a dial-up dial up modem uh, kind of connection. I'm just clicked into here any minute. But we're just about going, I think. Let's move on, Phil, and, and say once again, congratulations to Ali Carter. Congratulations to everybody involved in that tournament. Looked brilliant again. Superb crowd. What a brilliant, appreciative crowd. What an arena. And we just say, don't we, the tournament goes from strength to strength. We're so glad it's extended next year. And it's got such a precious part in the calendar, isn't it? And God, we lost so many <laughs> events on foreign soil, actually, for one reason or another. You know, we, 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 it feels like we value this more and more as the years go on type thing. Yeah, definitely. It was uh, few and far between at the minute, the tournaments overseas. So um, this is a precious part of the, of the calendar. And, uh, you know, they make it even more so. The crowd's amazing. The setup's amazing. I, I think all Stug crowds are generally quite encouraging anyway, but that seems to be even more so uh, in Berlin. They're just really... Uh, you know, Tom Ford, when he was struggling a bit, um, especially this evening, was getting you know clapped for every sort of movement <laughs> to try and G him up a bit, which was lovely. Uh, and, yeah, the extension in in, in days there is, is excellent. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to change it, so... Yeah, they didn't confirm the sort of format and qualifying changes, but we'll see. But hopefully it'll mean more top players sort of likely to be there, if not guaranteed to be there. So uh, so the German fans get uh, even more for their Deutschmark because uh, they deserve it. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, yeah, well done to everybody there. Thanks for putting on a great show. And uh, this is such an enjoyable part of the season. I know we love so many different parts of it, but this is real heart of it now. And it seems like week by week, we're having great tournaments. This was another one. Uh, we must say, Phil, congratulations. And moving on to Stan Moody, who is just 16. Goodness me. He's won himself a two-year tour card after beating Liam Pullen 5-1 to win the WSF Junior Championship in Sydney. Plenty of people I know, Including yourself, I think stayed up and uh, and uh, watched watched a, a fair bit of that. Well, very impressive performance indeed. And what really caught my eye as well was him beating Julian Boyko four three in the semi-finals with a break of sixty eight in the decider to win it. We know that Sean Murphy has been working uh, with Stan Moody, sort of mentoring him really, and clearly a bright prospect. Be fascinating to see how he does on tour. And uh, well, we can never you know, cock a snoot, a young talent coming through. It's what we all want to see. And this this looks like it could be a special one. Yeah, there's been talk about him for a while. We obviously saw him at the shootout last year winning a game. Um, and actually, we could ask Jordan Brown when he comes on uh, soon because they practice together at levels in Huddersfield when, uh, when Jordan's over in England, so he'll know him well. Uh, but yeah, there's been plenty of uh, hype around Stan for a while, so it's going to be interesting when he's thrown thrown to the wolves on the on the main tour, so how he gets on. So uh, that'd be good. Uh, Liam Pullen, who we beat in the final, he plays at the Northern. Um, so it was a Yorkshire derby, that final. Um, I think Liam made a 1-4-3 in his semi-final, I think. So he's an excellent prospect as well. That sort of last day, um, they had Liam Davies and Boyko and stuff. Um, so a lot of the, the brightest young talent. So to come through that, very impressive from Stan. Um, so yeah, exciting to see him. He'll probably get uh, I don't think they've confirmed it, but I imagine he'll be in World Championship qualifying as a result. As a result. So, 
interesting to see how he gets on there. And I like the way that um, Sean Murphy was saying, no, there's no real pressure. Plenty of the biggest stars in the history of the game, some of the best players ever, you know, fell off tour early on. So, mm. you know, it, it, not quite using the words free hit, but that kind of thing, you know, take the pressure off, you know, enjoy it as much as you can. A big learning experience. Of course, it will be a steep learning curve, but we'll, 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 we'll wait and see how it gets on. It will certainly be fascinating. Well, you are listening here to Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf, and uh, Ali Carter is Snooker's newest champion. He's just won the German Masters, beating Tom Ford in the final. Now, I'm not saying we've got a lot of correspondence in Phil, but um, the Old Testament is a light read compared to <laughs> yeah, the, the list here, but we'll press on. We've got some crackers. Let's go on. And we're going to kick off with the, the very recent correspondence on the German Masters, Ben Ashmore, on email as ever i've really enjoyed the german masters but i feel it is mr star power of most of the top 16 i always find the german masters a strange tournament it feels like it's set up to be a massive event it has the arena the fan base yet it doesn't have the prize money or prestige of a big tournament i don't think i agree with prestige i think it's got that in fairness um definitely um, that's me speaking there, Nick. Um, 80,000 to the winner doesn't just cut it for me in 2023, here says Ben. I know the WST have a budget, but compared to some other sports out there, it just feels like too many events are lacking big money at the moment, mainly the home nations and German masters. If the prize on offer was, say, maybe 150,000 instead, and the earlier rounds a bit more too, Maybe more of the top players would have taken the qualifying a bit more seriously, question mark. That being said, we've had the chance to see some fantastic stories this week. A great one from Jimmy and a good run from Milkins, who topped things off with that one four seven. Just a quick word on Jack Lazowski. He'll never have a better chance of winning a ranking event. I don't think Jack lacks the bottle, as some are saying, but genuinely think he simply lacks concentration, what we were saying earlier. He's always missed too many simple balls out of the blue. The winning pop he missed against Tom Ford, just seemed a certainty. But he got down far too quick and just assumed he'd pot it. Really hope Peter Edden can help him with that. Jack has the talent. He just needs a little help upstairs. Looking forward to the pod as ever. Cheers, lads. Well, uh, a lot of sense there. As I don't agree with that, the prestige, I think he definitely has that. And the adding of the two extra days, which I think was, it was a factor. Because it, do, it does feel quick with five, doesn't it? You, you do notice it, I think. You feel like you're just getting into it. Oh, it's Friday night. And, okay, it's quarters. It's great. You know, I think two days might not sound a lot more, but it sort of feels like a lot more, actually, in, in, in pure tournament play. Um, but, yeah, prize money, well, you know, you might have a point there. But generally, as you say, there was some good stories. And I liked Ali tonight saying, yeah, a lot of them weren't here, but I think we showed we can still play a bit and put on a show. And as you rightly said, the crowd, you know, they, they're they so supportive there. That it probably doesn't sound too corny, but it almost feels like they're, they really are there for the love of the game type thing. And it's almost about sort of supporting the, the, the game and their love of snooker, which kind of really shines through. But yeah, nice points there. Feel free to, to respond to it, sir. And uh, then you can move on to Tim Allen. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, the prize money is a tricky thing because you, you don't know why the prize money has landed on certain things because you'd think that the money would be there because the crowds are so good, but it's probably quite expensive to rent that venue and stuff. But 
yeah, I mean, prize money is a sort of general ranking of prestige for tournaments. How big a tournament would be is generally how big the top prize is and the overall prize fund. And German Masters feels like it should be above the home nations events, um, which is on, on the same level of prize money because just because of the venue and what it looks like and stuff, you know, some of those leisure centres, we played some of those home nations events, you know, they're not in the same league as the Tempodrome, are they? So you would think the German Masters are, is a bit ahead of there, but the prize money doesn't doesn't suggest that. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously, if we were just picking amounts of prize money, we'd always pick 150,000 or whatever Ben was suggesting there, you know, more. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've always thought that, and I think it should go up a bit, but there's probably reasons why not. Um, but, yeah, all made sense from Ben there, I thought. Uh, we'll go to Tim Allen on Twitter. Uh, the German Masters has been okay, but for me, three points. Uh, number one, they should have carried over the top 16 so that the German fans could have seen them. Number two, I remember when Eurosport actually had presenters there and did it properly. Dave H and co do a good job presenting, but it's not the same. And uh, number three, I'm a massive lifelong snooker fan, but found myself drawn to the nine ball Poolwood World Championship more than the snooker this week. Emily Fraser and Ed's team are doing wonders with the game also a massive cue getting rachel casey to present interested in your thoughts big fan of the podcast um yeah well i think we've covered the top 16 uh thing obviously it's a tricky one because you know they had, they went to qualifying like they should have won their qualifiers really but um yeah i think obviously for the fans it certainly would have been better if they were guaranteed that um yeah in terms of the the presenters i really yeah, i remember watching all the team going over there um and Certainly is a better sort of experience for everyone watching. Um, it's more interactive. You know, they, they didn't do any interviews on TV after games or anything, which is a is a loss. But I imagine that's budgetary issues. You know, I'm sure the Eurosport guys would have loved to have been there for, if given the option. And uh, yeah, I watched a bit of the pool. I didn't watch much of it, to be honest. I was watching the snooker. I flicked on a couple of times. Um, I don't mind the pool. I'll watch it for a bit. I can't really get into it loads, I've found, but, you know, I, I don't mind watching it for, for a few minutes here and there. Yeah, I feel like I'm in the ver on the verge of getting into it more, but, yeah, there's something holding me back. I, th I don't think it quite has the variety of, of snooker deep down, actually, just to, in the pure aesthetics of the, of the game. But I have to say, it's making really good strides. And I am a Paul fan. Mm. I mean, I, like... Like I'm sure nearly all of us have loved playing the game forever and a day. And yes, Rachel Casey, of course, you know, Phil Yates and Michael McMullen among the commentary team. They certainly got the, you know, the, the big names and the big voices. So they're really selling it. And, you know, it's going from strength to strength. No, I mean, I, I certainly haven't ever been in a position yet, including this week, where I've turned to Paul rather than watching the snooker. Certainly not. But, you know, that's what Tim's saying. And, you know, it, it, it's another Q sport, so in a sense, it feels to an extent keeping in the family. But uh, you know, snooker can never take itself, you know, for, and you know what it offers for for granted. I mean, I, I think if every time every tournament you missed a lot of the top players, I think you you would suffer probably if it was long every week after week after week. But the odd one. I, I didn't really feel like it affected my enjoyment a great deal, if I'm honest. I quite like the different sort of stories. It's a shame the final dribbled away tonight, really. But, you know, maybe because it was just five days and that feels it feels short anyway, as I mentioned before. 
but I must admit, it didn't affect me too much. As for Eurosport, I'm sure it's money, as you say. You're right, they were there, because what really comes to mind, Anthony Hamilton, when he won, I think it was Colin, Colin Murray, and they, they were all together. Mm. I think it was Colin rather than Andy Goldstein. And I think I remember them, them all being out there and it being a big deal. But, um, well, yeah, you can't, you can't always do that. I'm sure that's a financial decision. But what we did see on Eurosport, of course, was, was you know, was smashing coverage from, you know, David, Philip Studd and all the team, you know, marvellous voices as ever. And we're, you know, we're very fortunate to be able to watch so much snooker. As I said so many times, you know, other, other sports that I follow a lot, you just don't have the same access now to watching on television. So we are fortunate. But you take your points on board, Tim. They're good points. Thank you for making them. And thank you for listening to us. Let's move on to Ian Mackey on email. Just 48 to go now, Phil. It's a joke. We haven't got that many. Um, hello, Nick and Phil. A few months ago, I sent you an email flagging up the issues with Kazoo sponsoring many snooker ranking events this season after the news came out in August about them finishing sponsoring the Epsom Derby, among other events, after noticing the very late change of sponsor for the Masters, together with the news that Kazoo and insurance firm LV had opted to end sponsoring the 100 and Counties Championship, respectively. And, by the way, Royal London have also finished their sponsorship at the 50-over competition, which leaves the ECB with no sponsors for their big three events for 2023. Is that still the case, I guess? We'll take um, Ian's word for that. Certainly it would be a concern for, for cricket ahead of this big, you know, another big summer of... Uh, of action. How worried should Snooker be about this chain of events going forward and looking at the collapse of Kazoo's share price together with their chief executive stepping down from his role? The question has to be asked why they were allowed to sponsor so many events in the first place. The term putting all your eggs in one basket springs to mind. Love the podcast, Nick and Phil. Keep up the fantastic content and superb guest boys. Yours, Ian. Well, You've got another Ian on on a similar subject, haven't you? Maybe you should read that, then we should address the, the kazoo business. You've got Ian Robathon. Yeah, this is on email as well. Hi guys. Obviously, got to say love the pod and send the message before. Uh, I went to the Masters on a corporate ticket for my fiftieth and met Cliff and Joe. Uh, that's Cliff Thorburn and Joe Johnson. Great fellas and stories. And I went to the Grand Prix final and what a what great games. Two sessions of contrast and the tension in the room was palpable. However, I fear a bit for the future with the pullout of Kazoo, who sponsored so many tournaments. We got in a new sponsor no one had heard of and a betting one. And for me, so many mixed feelings, especially given the recent news. So what do you on betting sponsors viable at all? Um, I guess this is probably not our area of <laughs> intense expertise. Um, but yeah, it's clearly not an ideal situation at all. Um, Kazoo haven't pulled out entirely. They've pulled out that series, haven't they? But they'll still be sponsoring uh, the World Championship and they're replaced, you know, seemingly the last second by Dual Bits, which I think we said at the time is not the one, <laughs> the kind of thing uh, everyone would pick, was it? But, you know, it filled a gap. Um, it, it's going to be very interesting to see how next season's set up. Um, yeah, they're going to have to move away probably from betting sponsors, aren't they? Because we're sort of people have been speaking about for a while that there might be a government ban coming at some point, and still quite a few. To, I mean, the tournament this week was sponsored by Better, so um, that will could change all sorts. So, yeah, I don't know what they've got up their sleeve. I remember asking Jason Ferguson when because he announced loads of sponsorships that 
you know, I, I asked him if there was too many eggs in one basket and he reassured me that they had plenty of other options. That was just the best option. So um, I don't know how, how accurate that is, but that's what he told me. Um, so, yeah, hopefully they will have other things to go to um, next season or should Kazoo or anyone else pull out of anything else, any other tournaments. But, yeah, it's not, uh, you know, them, them pulling out that of the ITV series and then the, the last minute slightly unsatisfactory replacement wasn't a great sign, was it? And, yeah, we hear the same news that everyone else is about, uh, how they're doing with their business kazoo and it's not that encouraging but yeah I don't know we haven't got any firm answers are we but it isn't, it's not great news is it it's not I want to say a little bit in snooker's defense about the one basket I mean snooker's not alone by any means I mean mm. racing you know talk about the derby but a lot of the big races sponsored by kazoo uh is it Everton and Aston Villa? I think it's both those two. I mean, they're, they're two of our most, you know, historic and grandest football clubs, you know, and various other events. So, okay, it doesn't mean that Snooker has to follow, but, you know, Snooker may argue, the people in charge of Snooker, we'd have been mad not to jump in with this company that's just splashing money around and, you know, putting so much into sport, what, 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 we'd be mad to miss out type thing. We're the only ones not doing it almost. But listen, it's a very difficult time economically. Um, I'm sure that events, dear boy, events have set Kazoo back enormously, um, be it the pandemic, be it the war in Ukraine, be it the economy generally in Britain. It, you know, the company's not in a good position, as you say, Stepping down the chief executive, uh, they often send out quite dire, um, you know, forecasts. It has to be said. We know that, uh, you know, that the World Championship is going to be sponsored by Kazoo. So that's kind of a good thing in terms of, you know, you have got a, a decent sponsor for it. But in terms of going forward, you, you know, you can't be confident really. You, you, you know, snooker, like every other sport, Football has the same problem. Darts, I think, does as well. Has to move away from betting companies in the same way that we had to move away from tobacco all those years ago. You know, betting companies won't wash. You know, there'll be a time when, you know, not that far down the line, when snooker's told and all sports told, you can't be sponsored by betting companies. So it has been a worry. It's been a worry for a lot of years, really. You know, what? where's the backup? Um, there are all sorts of complex reasons for this, aren't there, really? Um it's not a, a problem that some sports have. And funny enough, I, I was having a chat with a student about this who was called me a, a week or so ago and working on uh, the whole sort of field of sponsorship in sport. And he was saying, well, what, asking me, what about, you know, things like tennis and, you know, athletics? I was saying, well, they don't really have those sort of problems, probably golf as well, for all sorts of nuanced reasons. You know, they have more sort of blue chip sponsors. They're probably seen as quotes unquotes more sort of middle class sports, I think. Whereas, you know, snooker's a very working class sport. Ultimately, it is hard. So it's connected, same as football, same as darts. I know football's changed an awful lot, but still at its heart, working class people would like a bet. These are a lot of these 
cliches I'm coming out with now, but ultimately, you know, like most cliches, there's a lot of truth to it. So I suppose what I'm saying in quite a long-winded way is that, you know, there are concerns, definitely. I mean, Jewel Bits is not a dignified sponsor, really, if we're honest. It, and it's the timing of it is not great. I mean, mm. this, you know, scandal affecting the sport now, which we know is, you know, is process is still going on with these, you know, 10 Chinese players and what, what you know, terrible situation it is for the sport. You know, the timing of it, this cryptocurrency company just doesn't seem quite quite right. But I expect they didn't have a, you know, many choices, really. They were up against it very late, and that's probably the reason for that. But, no, it is a worry, you know, no question. There's no point putting your head in the sand about it. It is a worry. It'd be very interesting to see what happens next season. You know, Kazoo seemed like, you know, well, I say it's not the answer to dreams. I think actually a lot of people for a long time have, have been kind of worried about this company. You know, I'm, I have to say, going back for a while, I, I'm not a cars person, so I don't really understand that business. But I've always been a little bit surprised to hear that so many people are buying cars. I mean, as far as I understand, they make it very easy, don't they? They cut out the middleman. Mm. They sort of send cars. So I'm getting a bit off topic here a bit going a bit into the nitty-gritty of it, but they send cars to you. I think they make it all very easy. So I see the sort of principle behind it and people that are maybe scared of the car market, they probably, you know, can see this company taking care of them. So I kind of get the principle, but I just think, I don't know. I mean, society is kind of moving away from cars, isn't it? More and more, you know, it seems to be, you know, so we're told that's the ideal. And yet... Mm. You know, these, and it's because not the only one, there are other ones as well, aren't there? That quite big companies that are doing this, and you sort of think, well, really, that, that many people wanting to buy cars are there? But anyway, um, it's a worry, it's a worry, isn't it? No question. And you know, the proof will be in the pudding the next season, next two or three seasons, and uh, we'll see. You know, it's a far cry from when I was growing up when, well, snooker was much more visible, you used to get enormous audiences. The light, we, we all joke about mercantile credit, but that was like an obviously a financial company. Uh, Julux, you know, sponsored a big event. It, it was a different kind of clientele, really. Now mm. it's just been all betting for years. And it's a worry. It's definitely a worry. But thank you to the, the two Ians for, um, you know, for making those points. And uh, we'll, we'll continue to watch that situation with interest, of course. Let's move on to Paul Anderson on an email. Dean, Nick and Phil, I just wanted to write to you about what I guess you would call the small controversy after the Allen versus Trump final in Cheltenham. It seems like some people were not best pleased with the speed of Mark Allen's play. I wanted to put across the point of a long-term snooker fan. You were kind enough to read out my first email to you last year when I was telling you about my dear old Nana's love for the game in the 80s. I've been an avid fan since then. When I was 14, I'm now 58. I know Stephen Henry has a job to do, and I hugely respect him as a player and commentator. So I have no problem with him talking about shot speed and suggesting Mark Allen should speed up. I imagine part of that is thinking he plays better when he's more fluid and not thinking too much about each shot. However, I absolutely love the contrast between Allen and Trump. I think it was in the same session they both potted blacks at the end of a break with the frame long since won. Trump did his usual flamboyant exhibition shot. I love seeing those. Allen potted it almost in slow motion, giving it just enough and no more to reach the pocket. It was the mid-session interval, so he coolly turned about as he hit it and went for the stairs. He was probably halfway out of the arena before the black drop. 
I used never used to be much of a Mark Allen fan, but it was that one moment that changed my mind. Isn't that funny, isn't it? I like that. Um, yeah. Something like that. He certainly did it deliberately, and I applaud him for that. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that snooker at that level is played in the head almost as much as on the table. And if Alan thinks that he needs to slow down a little to win, then surely he must do that. He knows his own game infinitely better than an observer does. Like a few others, including your good selves, have said, it's likely that these two are going to have many more matches in the future and the game needs this kind of rivalry. The contrast in styles is going to be brilliant to watch. I'm so much looking forward to every game they play. I've been impressed by Mark Allen's determination and Trump struggling with form and knuckling down. I know very well how difficult this game is. I spent hours and hours trying to improve, and I'm no better now than I was when I started. Well, amen to that. The way these top players <laughs> make it look easy astounds and delights me. I don't believe that anyone will be turned off by Allen's play. In fact, I think the opposite. Those two, along with the two others, are the stars of the next 10 years. And the game is all the better because of it. Keep up the good work. You are both brilliant. And I love listening to you talk about the game we all love, Paul. Well, thank you very much, Paul. And I think I agree with all that pretty much, Phil. We said it at the time. I don't necessarily agree, actually, that people will not be turned off. Because some people do seem to be affected by that kind of thing. Or they say they are. Um, But I don't think they should be. Because I think snooker's always been about a variety of styles so i can't add much more to that apart from very well argued and, and written paul and thank you for it yeah i agree yeah um contrast of stars is great isn't it and uh especially when it works well only when it works really that i mean that i agree with your point about what Stephen was saying you know a lot of players couldn't slow themselves down to sort of disrupt their opponent and still play well it would disrupt themselves um, but the fact that Alan could do that and still produce great stuff, you know, it's a, just a, it's just a great tactic. Then if you can do that, um, yeah, it's it's difficult because you sort of have to look at it from obviously we're sort of hardcore super fans and we I think all those guys all like watching that kind of thing. Um, and you try and think of it from people you're trying to attract into the sport. Are they going to enjoy it as much? Uh, probably not. But then they just don't enjoy super as much. So it's hard to sort of gauge that. Uh, but Lasowski was talking about this, wasn't he? he was sort of because he he got beaten by Alan, who would he was play, playing like that, and he didn't really enjoy it very much. And he was saying maybe players need to be quickened up to attract a new audience. But you know, he's obviously from a biased point of view where he likes to play quickly and uh, wouldn't like any of his opponents to play like that against him. So um, yeah, there is a balance. I think some, certainly some people would be put off by that, but um, it's certainly not cheating or anything. And if it's effective and it wins your games, then all, all credit to you. Mark Allen said himself he's he wasn't playing his best. He was struggling for form. So that's the route he went down and he won the title. So you really can't argue with it. Indeed. And I think we'll move on, shall we, to Gary McKenzie? Yeah, let's go to Gary on email. Uh, hello, Nick Phil. Uh, I f- recently discovered your show and I've been listening regularly now for the past few months and thoroughly enjoying it. Your enthusiasm for the game is wonderful and it is refreshing from divisive and at times toxic views on social media. I've watched snooker for over 30 years now and being surrounded by football-loving friends who don't share the love for the game, I feel I've found my tribe in your show. Oh, that's good to hear, Gary. Uh, I wanted to ask your opinion on the recent game between Alan Lasowski and the free ball incident. At first, uh, I was annoyed at Alan and his determination not to accept the decision, which was which led to Jack not taking the free ball. 
However, watching Alan play granite snooker for the rest of the tournament, my opinion changed, and I found that I actually admired the determination in not giving an inch. He showed that brutal streak that serial winners in the game seem to possess. Do you think that Bielasowski not standing his ground and taking the free ball, which could have changed the game and uh, changed the outcome of the game, it showed he still lacks that mentality of doing what it takes to win tournaments. This is not a dig at Jack. Uh, when he is on full flow, he's a joy to watch. It is an armchair observation on a game where psychology can be as important as the ability to pop balls when it matters. Thank you for the work you put into the show. Regards, Gary. Uh, thank you very much, Gary. Um, yeah, we so we spoke about this with Marcel actually in this uh, this incident um, last week when Marcel Eckhart was on. Um, yeah, I, I thought I thought Alan sort of pushed the limits there on sort of making his point, but ultimately he's able to make that point, and it's up to the referee. And I, I think probably the referee should have been stronger in that situation because she openly she outright said, "I think it's free ball." Mm-hmm. Alan said he thought it wasn't. Lestowski said he didn't know. So really, that's then it's the referee's decision to make, isn't it? And she didn't quite do it. Um, so, yeah, I think Alan was, was quite forceful. I don't think he overstepped Mark, but he was he was getting towards that way. That's how I saw it anyway. Yeah, hard to disagree with that. Thank you for your lovely words, Gary. Much appreciated. I think I'm going to respectfully disagree with you, actually. I, 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 I thought Alan w- went too far, really. I, I didn't think that was a great incident I, I certainly love his determination to win but uh, I felt and I sort of hinted this I think when I asked Marcel uh, the question last week is that there are occasions recently when players are getting a little bit sort of too involved and actually the referee's word needs to be sort of final and and quickly that's always been the way snooker's mm. operated and I, I just worry that sometimes it, it goes it goes away from that. I mean that I suppose the it's quite an opinionated thing to say probably, but I, I don't think they've done that to Paul Collier and Jan Verhas. I would say that. But then I suppose you say that Paul Collier and Jan Verhas wouldn't have allowed it to get to that stage. They'd have been like, right. I think yeah. you know, some of the more inexperienced referees, you don't want to be hard because they'll get this. But they'll they need to be firm. But I think it's also beholden on the player, especially the experienced guy like Alan, to to, to really let it let it go after a while and actually, you know, let's move on. And I and I thought that was a bit too much, really, uh, on that occasion. I have to say, um, as for Lazowski not standing his ground, well, it was just Jack being nice, wasn't it? Like he is really. <laughs> maybe maybe it was the kind of wrong mentality. I don't, I don't know. I mean. It, it, it's funny. Totally there certainly would have been players when, when the referee yeah. said, "I think it's a free ball." Yeah, and they would just, "Well, oh, that's a free ball then," rather than backing down. Definitely. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hendry, uh, uh, for yeah. one. But <laughs> it reminds me of a totally different sport sporting moment. I don't know why. I sometimes do this rather focus just on snooker, but a brilliant open championship. I think it was at Birkdale five or six years ago when Jordan Spieth was going for the title and he had, he took absolutely forever. The ball was virtually out of bounds, if not out of bounds, got a drop. He was out, out in the car park. And who was the guy? He'll come to me. I'll have to look it up if not. And he was far too allowing of the whole thing. He was just, oh, don't worry. Um, 
Kucher, I think it was. That was it. Matt Kucher, the American. And he was so... And I remember a lot of us saying, there's no way Tiger would have stood for that. There's no way Nick Fowler would have stood for that. They'd have been like, what is going on? It's taking far too long. They've been having word with rules officials. And I don't know what made me think of that, but yeah, maybe a more hard-nosed competitor would have been like, you know, let's put an end to this. And, you know, the referee's word's final type thing. But that, that's Jack's nature and maybe, you know, but it serves him well in many ways, I think, in the game as well. So... Yeah, it was an interesting one. I thought Alan just, you know, nearly, nearly went too far there actually, and was and was and was and was not right to pursue it for that long. That was kind of my feeling. But and I really appreciate your your words there, there, Gary, and your kind email. Let me move on to Owen Walters on email. Hello, Phil and Nick. I would like to thank you for the podcast. I've been a snooker fan for many years, but it's the first time I've corresponded with you. I've got into the podcast very late, but I've listened back. And I'm just about to listen to the Rebecca Kenner episode. Well, I hope you enjoyed it. That was Rebecca live from yeah. a huge sports shot. That was a lovely episode, I thought. Fantastic pods with your various guests. I'm looking forward to Marcel Eckhart one. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as well. I've attended snook tournaments for the past five years. And I'm soon to attend the Welsh Open every session, but one Unfortunately, the final session of the final. But you obviously are going to a lot. That's great. I was wondering if anybody in Clandidno knows of anywhere decent to eat and drink. I've never been before, and I'm there for eight days. Keep up the good work, Owen. Well, we obviously got a quick turnaround for this, Owen. Um, but we have put it on our Twitter. We we sent you an email to say this as well, so hopefully you've seen it. And we've got some lovely suggestions there, Phil, haven't we? Um, from people, places to stay as well, people have said. But a lot of great food options, drink options. Look on our Twitter feed, Talking Snooker, Owen, and uh, anyone going, in fact. I mean, you see lots of good suggestions. And uh, actually, I've seen some very good uh, lines and heard some very good noises about tickets for that tournament. Well, Clandidno they always seems to do well. And they've, I think there have been some good off- offers early on. And even the early days, there's some really, really good crowds there, I've heard. So looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, head, 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 head over to our Twitter page. And uh, yeah, we, we said before how much we enjoy the world smashing tournament coming up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was trying to remember what the a lot of the suggestions were. I've not been, but there was definitely the cottage loaf. I remember that getting suggested yeah. by a few people, and, and there was something with a very similar name. Anyway, it's all on the Twitter feed, so have a look at that. But there were plenty of good suggestions, and uh, Sunday roast, I think, was that the one. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, there was a lot of disappointment when the Welsh got moved from South Wales, um, understandably for everyone who's in that area. Um, but of course, it'll still be. A, so we have a very good event up in London now. And yeah, I'd heard tickets have gone brilliantly. So that's that is very good news. Um so yeah, hopefully you get on there, Owen. And uh it's, it seems like there's plenty of stuff to fill your time with eating and drinking wise there. Sounds great. Um so we'll move on. I think this is is this the last one? Owen Burt on email. Okay, this long one from Owen, our friend Owen. Hope you're both well. I've embarked on my three-hour train journey back from the afternoon sessions of finals day at the shootout, so I thought I would share my experience with you to pass the time. I was going to do a list of positives and negatives, but I'm really struggling to find a bad word to say about the whole experience. The only minor gripe I had was the fellow with a verbal diarrhoea sat a couple of rows behind me. However, I'll let him off as about one in every 25 of his echoes were somewhat mildly amusing. <laughs> On to the positives. <laughs> that is the case. I said some. I was speaking to one on Twitter about the shootout and people saying, "Is it funny or not?" I'm just like, you just left. Uh, you're at the whim of whoever's there, isn't it? It's like some people are very funny, some people less so. But you just gotta 
hope for the best, haven't you, when you go to that place? <laughs> um, anyway, this is Owen. On to the positives. Uh, comfortable seating with plenty of legroom, something that is surprisingly rare at snooker events. I would go as far to say it's the best I've experienced. Comfort should be the bare minimum when going to watch any kind of lengthy performance, so it's slightly ironic that the event with the best seating is the one where you'll have to move about every 10 minutes. The venue. Although a strange-looking building in a strange industrial estate location, the way it was set up was excellent. The lobby-slash-bar-slash-coat-queue-zone area had so much room to move about, have a game of snooker-slash-attempt to challenge on one of the many tables, or just have a sit-down. And although it's strange going to a snooker event on an industrial estate, it's an easy walk from Leicester city centre, so it's actually pretty well located. The bar was also big enough, so we were never waiting too long to get served. And although I didn't buy any food, there seemed to be a good selection of snacks on offer. The atmosphere. Strangely enough, the atmosphere is completely different to what you see on TV. The singing and shouting that can seem a bit intrusive when watching on TV just blends into the background. It's quite easy to block it out if you want to. It's also a very friendly atmosphere in general, and I think the format lends itself to this, as you can sit and chat to the people next to you drawing and in between frames, which is a nice relief from the norm. With a relaxed atmosphere, freedom to move about, and the many different things going on, it felt like an actual full-scale event rather than just going to the venue, watching the snooker and going home. In summary, if you don't think this event is I would urge you to go and see it in person, as I found it a different experience entirely. As someone who really doesn't like the big noisy crowds, I wasn't sure I'd enjoy it, but it's one of the best snooker experiences I've had. If you enjoy it for what it is and don't take it too seriously, it's an amazing event. I even got to finally meet some of the notorious characters from the snooker Twitter community, which topped it all off. A job well done from all involved. I'll certainly be making the, looking to make this an annual trip. I'd also like to address the unwelcome elephant in the room, that is the complaints about the event's ranking status. I'll keep it short as I know how tiresome this subject has become. I don't think many people think it definitely should be a ranking event, but it always confuses me why fans care so much. It makes absolutely no difference to the fan experience. In fact, if anything, I think it makes the tournament better as there is something for players to play for with the huge benefits that can present. I'm not sure if it's the loyal shootout haters that are just so adamant to find something wrong with the tournament, but it really isn't a big deal for fans. Um, well, plenty there from Owen there. Uh, certainly, we'll, we'll start at the end on the ranking thing. But yeah, yeah, I think I, not many people are like, it definitely should be a ranking event. I certainly, if I was given the choice, I would make it a non-ranking event, I think. But some, I saw someone put this really nice in a tweet, just saying, I think it shouldn't be a ranking event, but maybe it would make it worse because you don't know who would play in it. You don't know the stakes would be obviously less high. I like the tension of it. But yeah, I agree with Owen in terms of, I can't believe the passion and time people have to argue, do this argument all the way through the shootout every year, just going on about how it shouldn't be a ranking event. So I can't be bothered myself. But some people certainly can and would do. Yeah, yeah, I'm a little bit torn on that one. Yes, I'm, I think we shouldn't talk about it so much. But I'm also adamant that it shouldn't be. And my, my view on it has always been, by the way, I, I said it before, it's not even the format. I don't mind the format. I don't mind the fact you only have a certain amount of time to play the shot. Mark Williams doesn't look like he's rushing. He, he saunters around like he's playing normal snooker. It's the crowd. It's always been the crowd. And that, that's nothing against them. They go and have a great time. That's it. But I find it just, uh, frankly, a little bit absurd that when people are sort of shouting and screaming, that can be count, counted as a ranking event. That, that, that's only my view. But, yeah, I, I think we, we do it too much. 
Uh, I mean, there's part of me that thinks that we collectively should have argued much more strongly at the beginning than it, they would have had to stop it. But anyway, yeah, the ship sailed now. And as for the fan experience, yeah, I think that's it makes no difference at all. And I, I only heard good things. I have to say, made me laugh though you saying that and Owen there about the the fans. It reminded me of my days when I used to go and see. I mean, I go and see a lot of live football now, but I used to go and see absolutely loads in my youth, including a lot of football at sort of lower division level, some non-league. And it, you you'd always kind of have funny and non-funny people, wouldn't you? Generally, yeah. and the same ones would you nearly always rely on to time it perfectly, just the right time, really funny. And and some people just sort of weren't, and that's life, you know. <laughs> but it's, I'm sure it's a bit like that at the snooker as well. But yeah, no, I mean, um, I can't, I, yeah, I can't give a lot of passion about it. But I, I don't think it should be ranking a bit. But of course, you know, would you then get the players playing? Would it have the same, yeah. you know, excitement about it? it? You know, maybe not. But anyway, no, it's um, it, a lot of good points there from Bowen, and just what we said last time. So glad that everyone had such a good time and. I think there's scope for a bit more. Uh, I, people have said it. I don't think loads more, but I, I, I don't feel after four days that's me totally sated. I could do double that. I'm only one person, but I think I think I could, you know, and I'm a traditionalist really, but I, I think I, I, there's scope for a little bit more than that. It's very successful. And when you've got something that's very successful, I don't think there's a, there's a problem or anything wrong with pushing the, the kind of envelope out a bit, if you like, pushing the boundaries out and doing a bit more. I mean, that would be my my thing. I also like your thing about playing in different places. You know, if ever, you know, there was an event for a different market to introduce us to snooker, but maybe not with the the real nuance that we know of hour-long frames sometimes and all that, you know, mm. quotes-unquote slowness, it would be this, you think? Yeah, I was sort of thinking that. I think it'd be great to do um, sort of in a summer, like a summer party almost, and do a shootout. You know, when I've spoken to Jason Vuce about where they're looking for new markets, and he, he often mentions the Mediterranean, sort of Spain and Portugal. Imagine like a summer shootout in Spain. That would be amazing. That would be a real holiday vibe to it. Um, so, uh, yeah, something like that would be fun. And, and that could be, you could have a non ranking version and a ranking version, whatever. Um, but yeah, I think there's definitely room for something like that. Um, it'd be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, on Owen's point there about sort of the crowd, I, I was only there Wednesday afternoons. So that was certainly no Wednesday evening, sorry. So that certainly wasn't the rowdiest of sessions, but it was sort of a nice level of humdrum in there. Like it wasn't so much in the chanting and shouting, but people were just able to talk, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't disrupted to the players, and you could have a drink and just chat to your mates, and it was just sort of a good level of uh, not having to sit in complete silence. So. If they could sort of strike that balance at, at other events, maybe where it's just slightly more relaxed, then that wouldn't be a bad thing. But it's just so hard to police, isn't it? That's why it has to be silent all the time because you just can't trust people not to be idiots. That's the problem. Um, but yeah, no, I uh, I enjoyed my experience of going down there for a few frames. I can just about visualise an event in Spain. Me and you, sombreros, uncomfortable. <laughs> Uncomfortable pictures on the beach. I can see it, you know. Let's finish off with a quick note from Danny Kyle, who emails us about toilets at the Masters. Feels like we've um, gone down a level there, um, in a way. He, he, he says, because we had a couple of people saying that there aren't many and it's annoying. He says there actually are a lot behind the red stand. 
you go through the doors and upstairs to what must be the best toilets on the tour. There were never any queues there, even uh, during mid-session intervals. So thanks for that, for that Danny, uh, for clearing up that. So maybe maybe head there if you're stuck for toilets the next time you're at the Masters. That's the correspondence for now. Keep it coming. TalkingSnooker at Yahoo.com or tweet us at TalkingSnooker. I think we're at any other business time, Phil. Jordan Brown with us next time. You've got last chance to get your views in to Jordan, your questions in. We're loads to talk about with Jordan, of course, when he joins us ahead of the World Show. It will be a couple of days early, so we get some good value uh, from it ahead of the tournament. And just to say as well, at the end of February, we've got another voice coming on here, and that's the writer Luke G. Williams, who we can't wait to welcome on the podcast. Really is an excellent writer, Luke. done so many great, uh, great things in his career. But the predominant reason he's coming on is to talk about a new book he's written about Patsy Houlihan, who on the book is titled The Greatest Snooker Player You Never Saw. And there's so many great stories about Pat Houlihan. He's one of those folklore characters in snooker. So I know there's going to be so many great things in, in Luke's book. And he'll give us a few teasers when he joins us at the end of the month. And that's down for February the 27th. So Jordan Brown and Luke G. Williams coming up on this podcast uh, for the rest of February as we head towards, uh, well, the business ends soon, Phil. I'm about to say Sheffield on the mind, but of course you live there, so it's probably always on the mind. So I should be more <laughs> specific. Crucible, I'm just starting to think a little bit more about it. Two months, February now. It's on the mind a bit. Definitely, yeah. I think I read somewhere it's like 10 weeks. So that does seem very close um and yeah definitely when you get into sort of the players and the, the tour championship it feels very much like uh the warm-up act for the um for the crucible um and that's that didn't sound how i wanted it to i meant to say warm-up act but tour championship is a big tournament warm-up act seems disrespectful but it's just before the world championship and it feels like a great sort of starter for it so yeah um now we are definitely getting to that end of end of the calendar aren't we um and uh, we're going to the all-important Championship League Invitational snooker this week. So that's what we've got to look forward to, which, uh, you know, it's not the biggest event on the calendar, but there's some very big names. The next group, which starts on uh, on Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday the 7th. Um, what a lineup this is. Um, Gilbert, Robertson, Williams, Higgins, Milkin, Selby, Selt. So it's not too bad. Um, and then... Never heard of them. <laughs> So um, that'll be worth watching on whatever platform that'll be on. Um, you have to Google that. I haven't got that details to, to hand, I'm afraid. And, yeah, we mentioned Sam Moody winning the WSF Junior, but the, the main event down there in Australia, the WSF Championships is on now and finishes on the 11th. So that'll be another tour card on offer for whoever wins that. So I think, I guess, all the juniors who who didn't get through will be playing in that as well, but that's, that's all ages um, it's the one CGO who he won last year to win a tour card. So um, someone else will be booking their place on the Pro Tour uh, when they win that event. Indeed, they will. We aim for an hour. We've done about one hour 15, I think. Not too bad. Not too bad. It, 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 maybe we'll aim for 45 minutes next time. Then we might do an hour. Eh? <laughs> um, <laughs> great to see you. Can't wait for Jordan Brown. He's going to be a special guest, isn't he? In, in, in so many ways. I mean, Loads to talk about with his career, but that Welsh win—I mean, you, you were there to see that was that was something else. I can't wait to 
to hear a bit more about how he went into that week, you know, whether he felt something was on the cars, just how odd it was with no crowds, just how he felt. I know it's going back a couple of years again, but I just can't wait to sort of reminisce with him about that. It was just one of one of Snooker's great tales, wasn't it? Well, definitely, yeah. I mean, those the odds of it happening, you know, they'll still be talking about that um, in many years to come. It was sort of, well, I hope not an anomaly because we hope him to win more tournaments, but it's certainly going to go down as one of the biggest upsets ever. Um, so, yeah, and uh, Jordan's a great guy and uh, he'll be able to tell us all sorts. You know, he's a very good friend, Mark Allen, having the season of his life. So, yeah, we'll get all sorts of insights from him, hopefully. So uh, that's one to look forward to. See you next time then for Jordan Brown. And, of course, the Welsh Open is round the corner. The Players' Championship, this really is a marvellous uh, marvellous time of the season. We thank you for your company. See you next time, sir. See you all soon. Thanks for listening. Sorry if my internet let us down earlier. I'll fix that for next time. He gave me the chance to mention the late, great Norman Collier, so no bad thing at all. <laughs> great to see you and uh, look forward to being with you once again next time when we're joined by Jordan Brown. We hope to have your company again then. For now, from Phil and myself, cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.